0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Imprint Companion, a physical media podcast about Australia's latest boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. We are the official partner podcast The Imprint Companion. We gush about the incredible array and increasingly frequent array of discs that you get to spin uh, all across the map of a whole bunch of different labels and in a world that is increasingly dominated by streaming we want you to stop we want you to stop that stream we want you to stop those disgusting quality on poor both australian and international internets and we want you to jump into delicious delightful pristine blu-ray and to dip and to delight and to spin the discs with me one half of your show mr blake howard is my awesome partner in crime A a, a real saint of all things physical media, Mr. Monsieur Alexi Toliopoulos. How are you, good friend?
1: Blake, it is my pleasure to be with you on this hallowed day of days. We're actually talking on the day of the Oscars today, so it feels like the appropriate time to be celebrating cinema and to be looking at some newly discovered classics. We're going to be talking through just a few Movies from the March batch from imprint films.
0: The imprint March bundle is epic and we're saving uh, a second part of our episode. So if you're listening out for the incredible. Osterman weekend the peck and pod directors cut rediscovery as well as the theatrical edition Um, we are going to do that on the next episode. We're also going to talk about china gate in the next episode So they are not here right now. What we are going to talk about first in this episode Firstly is imprint number 110. We're going to be talking about steve mcqueen's final movie the hunter we're also going to be talking about conquest of space which if That doesn't immediately jump out to you byron war of the worlds haskins other big space movie coming to imprint which is awesome they're having a real or tourist run with so many great filmmakers at the moment we are then gonna dive in and talk about marooned and Audrey Rose as well, and uh, maybe just touching on Dalton Trombos uh, a little bit, uh, Johnny got his gun. So we're going to go from about four or five of the great other entries in this incredible mm-hmm. batch, but saving kind of a special one because what's really cool for us uh, and for anyone who's really collecting the imprints at the moment is there are these um, double collection, these Uber packs yeah. of like a uh, multi-versions of certain films. And, we got and, some and... freaking
1: big boys. we got some little big boys coming M- out of the imprints These days Little
0: big boys And Peckinpah is one of our guys My guy particularly Because he's such an influence On Michael Mann Who everyone knows Mm -hmm. I gush about um, repeatedly But we're going to Probably start off uh, Let's start off You guys are going to listen To a little trailer For 1980's The Hunter
1: Steve McQueen is (laughs) level-headed
0: He's eagle-eyed Two-fisted. A tower of strength. He's not as fast as he used to be. That's what makes him human. But he is the hunter. And that's what makes him dangerous.
1: Blake, I had never seen this movie. I still haven't had a chance to catch up with it, but I've been going through a bit of a Steve McQueen thing at the moment. So I want to find out what are your thoughts on his final film, The Hunter? Look,
0: it's a a weird little film as his last one. It's kind of a strange one because they always talk about actors never having their great films, but it feels like such a, Steve McQueen joint. Mm. It's about a guy, his name's Ralph Papa Thornton, actually a real guy. Um, and and it's kind of an adaptation, uh, very cinematic and OTT, um, version of a guy who basically is a bounty hunter. He goes and collects bounties of criminals, um, that are on the run. He takes them back and while his girlfriend is giving birth he's having a bit of uh troubles the quandary of actually becoming a father and having to maybe settle down uh in some way shape or form um he gets entangled with a a vengeful former bounty who comes out to get him as well as getting up to a whole bunch of other hijinks collecting bounties along the way it's a film that has some interesting sliding doors moments originally was meant to be directed by Peter Himes. Now, if you don't know Peter oh, Himes, wow. he directed The Relic, 2010, the Outland, yeah. Time Cop. And apparently in the pro- in the process of doing the draft of the screenplay, McQueen didn't like what he was doing. It then gets updated by Ted Layton. It's obviously adapted by Christopher Keene's book. And then real journeyman director um, gets to come in and have a little bit of a play in this world, Buzz Kulik. <laughs> and if you don't know who Buzz Kulik is, this guy did Brian's song, he did uh, To Find a Man, a real kind of um, mm-hmm. a, a golden age. I love Brian's song. A, a guy, a golden age uh, of telly guy who did some movies and he feels like a bit of a, a McQueen wishing he could actually direct this sort of stand-in performance. But this is like a funny movie because it's, it's very gritty in that mm-hmm. in some respects, it's kind of like it has genuine fears and has these things, but it also is just, Wild, it has some of the most amazing set pieces I've ever seen this incredible chase of a crook through this huge Chicago, um, uh, car park that then ends in the Chicago river. Cool. Um, absolutely oh, nuts. Wow. has one where he's chasing these two guys on, um, on this, on this, like a gigantic, uh, uh, crop duster, he's driving around this huge farm and they're like throwing dynamite at him, has some of them craziest action set pieces, but it, it anchored at the, at the center of it is like this guy who's like a wild a wild man taming all of these wild people who's trying to settle down. And so it has this kind of like this edge. He's a bit of a hard dude. He's a bit of a hard nose. And you can totally see why Steve McQueen dug it. But the thing that I just want to say about this imprint films collection is, again... Has a terrific vintage doco. Steve McQueen, Man on the Edge, has an audio commentary by film historian Jason Nay, which I really recommend because I had nothing, I had no idea about this movie. I watched it and I sort of um, uh, took some snippets and, and took some chunks out of the Jason Nye, um audio commentary, and it just looks absolutely stunning. And and again, one of those things where. You can't fake some of the crazy ass shit that they did in the stunts of this movie and it's so uh, such a nice thing And so for those steve mcqueen fans out there, I think like it's great. It doesn't overstay its welcome It's only 97 minutes. So I would just say to you guys. It's not it's definitely not top-tier mcqueen I think for me It's going for the same kind of cool stoicism of his classic bullet roll Um, and he always had that but he's really trying to balance action and feeling and emotional reality and sometimes that doesn't necessarily tonally work because it has a bunch of tones this movie but i just appreciated it because man steve mcqueen was a true movie star of his age and seeing yeah. him just like bounce around on uh, bounce around this movie it was just like it's an again we talked about sliding doors but it's one of those sliding doors moments so it was like it was a great discovery for me to to, to close a gap in my in my steve mcqueen viewing
1: yeah fantastic Man, I got to watch this one. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, I think you. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And the one other thing I would say, it does have a good Eli Wallach like random performance in there. It's like a very nice (sighs) as it is like he sort of like anchors to his life.
1: Freaking guys, dude, he's one of my freaking guys. But
0: the wildest performance in the movie is like a true Bruce Turn mad. Off the wall performance by Tracy Walter, Jack Nicholson's best bud, oh, wow. who plays yeah. Bob in the Batman. He is actually the unhinged guy who's coming back for vengeance, and he is on one. He's going off his rocker in this movie, and it's just a real treat to see him absolutely go off the wall.
1: That's, oh man, I just re watched Bullet, like not even like two weeks ago. And one of the I great movies all time. It is, it's so cool. And a um, huge and influence on heat huge influence McLean. Yeah. hugely influential on heat yeah huge. So huge so, huge so
0: huge so again the Tarantino once upon a time in Hollywood book, some bullet. More McQueen, mm-hmm. even even fantastical, <laughs> hypothetical McQueen, yes. um, is is good in your life. So uh, closing this uh, closing oh. this gap is is really really terrific. Um, let's before bounce- we
1: move on to the oh. next one, Blake. I gotta ask you a little question while we're on this.
0: Yes. Who
1: should play Bullet in the freaking Steven Spielberg one coming down the line in a
0: couple of years? So hard. I've been thinking mm-hmm. about this since day one, and I'm like, it is it's impossible in the current paradigm of actors for me to pick a person that I feel like has all of the talent I really like I really like a guy whose name's been bandied about uh, for James Bond recently who starred in an absolutely outstanding little movie called the guest uh, which oh, is currently. Yeah um uh, directed by Dan Adam Wingard Dan huh? Stevens I think Dan Stevens has got the cuz cuz the bullet for anyone who hasn't heard mm. the Spielberg bullet is allegedly like a originy story and I feel like Dan Stevens has got some oh, of the. weird f- okay it's not it's not like after bullet like the events of bullet that we mm. see it's kind of before and so I feel like Dan Stevens okay. has got you know he's got some of that stuff i would say like munich era Daniel Craig would have been the, like, I mean, he even dresses like Bullet in that movie. That would have been the most. He'd be number freaking one, dude. Numero uno, but he's just aged out. Like if it's a Bullet sequel, it's Daniel Craig Mm. every day for me. He's already kind of done the work with Spielberg, but if if you're going like earlier, which I believe that it is, it's always, right now the only guy I've been thinking of is like Dan Stevens. I've seen him do cool, you know, like, you know, quiet. The guest is terrific if you haven't seen it. If you're in Oz, it's on Netflix right now. Check it out. There's some great physical media releases of that. Bad Boy Two, um, which you should definitely get your hands on. But yeah, Dan Stevens. What about you, Lex? Who, who's is there any guys that are popping up? Because uh, it's 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 one of the most impossible tasks. It would be like someone going, mm. "Hey, how do you recast Paul Newman?" It's like what recast Paul exactly. Newman? Like it's stop. the guy. It's the guy.
1: It's like the guy. I don't know, Steve McQueen, the freaking director. <laughs> <laughs> That's who I would go for.
0: Look, it's I mean, a. Choice. he knows
1: how to play Steve McQueen. He's been doing it his whole his life. His whole
0: life. His whole life. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And
1: widows rocks. Widows, he should widows be directing
0: it. Widows absolutely yeah. rules big. I actually, fan.
1: speaking of widows, oh, no, they're too old. I was gonna say Colin Farrell, but he's too old.
0: He's a bit old. But he's also yeah, the most too he's, old. he's he's aging like a fine wine. Maybe the guys who did the penguin suit can give him a Steve McQueen suit. Yeah. Uh skin suit, and he can just wear that. Who knows? Who knows? But let's let's bounce from this, uh, you know, the final film from Steve McQueen. Let's bounce over to uh, a story of astronauts who are trying to get back into Earth's atmosphere, and um, a big influence on Alfonso Cuarón's *Gravity*. John Sturgis's *Marooned*. Have a listen to the track. Iron Man, this is Houston. Iron Man, this is Houston. Do you read? Go, Houston. Do you affirm retrofire? Negative. Say okay, again. I said we had negative retrofire. Bailey, kill it. And if that big baby doesn't fire this time, they're not coming back.
1: Dr. Charles Keith, Chief of man Space.
0: Well, there's a rumor the men are already dead. Not true. Uh, Mr. Mr. Henry, Mr. Henry. What happens if you can't get the engine to retrofire? We're prepared for every contingency, Mr. Henry. All of the resources of the NASA and our industrial contractors are being used to the fullest. Look, I I don't want to just lay here and die. All right, then figure the odds.
1: Right now on its way to launching, the XRV has never before been in space... Now, when it makes his first flight, Colonel Doherty is going to be going it alone because that bird was designed for two men, but now has been modified, of course, to carry four men. And Colonel Darty will be on his way to bring home the three astronauts of Iron Man 1. Not much oxygen left. Iron Man, a Russian
0: spacecraft is making rendezvous with you don't know what he's going to do all right like so i haven't had a chance do to do marooned i stuck on the other side of space in conquest of space you've gone to Marooned. tell me about john sturgis 1969 marooned you've, you've in, uh, been checking out a bunch of these other ones that i've missed out and i haven't had a chance i'm so excited to hear what you thought about it
1: this has been one that has been kind of on my radar for a lot longer than you would think I remember this from my video store days, just seeing this cover on the shelves where I'd be like, mm, okay, what's this one? It's kind of not in the sci-fi section. I think it was either in thriller or adventure. And um, I was kind of interested in it because it seemed like a very grounded take on space. So when it came into Batch, this was the one that I bagged. So I was like, like I got to watch this one finally. And it is such a curious, curious film because kind of like Gravity, it's, presents a reality of space in some kind of way. It's about three astronauts on a mission in space that's, are maroons hence the title being maroon they <laughs> cannot get back home so then it's a lot of the film is set in communication between ground control with uh gregory peck leading the ground control uh talking to the people in space and communicating with them about what is happening divulging things to them a lot of it's like working out math a lot of it is like guys in suits smoking cigarettes down to the freaking butt and the butts piling up (laughs) as they are working out the math of what is possible to bring these guys back and there's this kind of thing that is fascinating about this movie in that I would say it teeters on being very boring at points. Yes. And there's something about that boringness um, being quite filled with dread and terrifying to me because these men are so helpless up in space. They literally have no control about their destinies right now. And it seems so hopeless for them and they feel so helpless trapped there. And I feel like this kind of, easing in and boredom like the deliberate pace of this like this move film this film moves really slowly and i don't even think it quite gets up to a simmer even but it kind of builds in its dread because it just feels like there's going to be no conclusion um so i it's quite a particular film. It's quite strange in that regard, but it's got some great performances. Gregory Peck's in there, and then also one of our freaking guys. It goes to be said, one of our guys, Gene Hackman, is one of the Hackman. astronauts. And this is just. And Richard Krenner.
0: He's...
1: And Richard Krenner. Richard Krenner. It's Krenner. just before they start popping. Like, Gene Hackman's got a two years before the freaking French Connection pops, but he's just done um, Bonnie, and Clyde. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde. So he's, like, he's exciting. He's, he's still a supporting player. But there's this great moment where the men in space have, like, these video tele calls with, um, as we would call them FaceTime now, um, (laughs) but they have their video calls with their girlfriends or their wives. And the first one's quite melancholic. And then the second one is Gene Hackman. And it, of uh, devolves into a freaking argument <laughs> where he like starts screaming about like how he's going to die and stuff. And it's like his fault or whatever. And it's just like, it's becomes quite harrowing. The other thing I want to like hit on this movie that I found really interesting. There's this technique they use, an audio technique, um, where they're communicating up to space, but it's like mainly men in the control room and they've got their little headsets on, or they're talking into microphones or whatever. And the sound that is like you hear for their voices, even though they're mainly talking to the guys in the room, the sound is the recording as you would hear it being recorded into the microphone that they're wearing. So it's got this kind of weird like audio technique there that feels very verite, I would say, like it captures the reality of those moments. Um, This is a really interesting one because it's like not super exciting but that's what makes it kind of truly (laughs) compelling in a really unique way i I, i'm really glad i finally watched it and it's a great one to catch up with it looks freaking beautiful like just the design of all the space stuff because it is from 69 it's the year that we think of when we think about space and also um two people pleasing each other orally uh so it is it's kind of interesting production design and and if if
0: you do that too slowly there's also a dread there's a (laughs) it's it's a building dread
1: (laughs) a real sense of dread but like you know you this is how you recognize space is like what the astronauts costumes look like in 69 and they look a little bit different and there's a bit of imagination going on here for how to present space at that current time. So I think it's a total like historical curio that so many of the listeners of this podcast would find some fascination in catching up with.
0: Oh, that sounds so great. I'm devastated that I haven't seen it already. Krenner, Hackman, Peck. I mean, they're just all our guys. This seems so great. I can't wait to check it out. And your emphatic recommendation is there, but let's stay in space. You guys have just a listen. For the record
1: mildly emphatic i did say it was boring as well so oh, no don't, uh, people no. don't get too excited about right. it before no they no
0: away. just emphatic for our guys right and the boredom and yeah. also there's something about the stakes of like if if you're sitting at a desk and you know that your your ability to do math is going to result in people living or dying i think that that's cool i actually think that that's mm-hmm. quite good um so, it's, cool,
1: man. it's a cool movie
0: so let's jump back in time 14 years uh let's go to another person who kind of defined how pop culture um, you know, I- interacted and understood space. Byron Haskins' conquest of space.
1: This is the dangerous way station on the road to the planets, the jumping-off place for the fantastic rocket ship built in outer space. <laughs> you'll be out of this world through every stirring moment of conquest of space. You'll live the strange, topsy-turvy life of men who live as no other men have lived before. Evacuate Section
0: 34.
1: Not tomorrow, not next year. But sometime before the year 2000 A.D., this amazing event will take place. And now you will be part of it, rocketing beyond the horizon of our time to join the greatest human
0: adventure of all time. All right, Lex, this one, you talked about the historical curio that is marooned. You talked about, like, um, you know, things trying to be anchored in reality and, and sort of truth in marooned. Conquest of space is a total flight of fancy, and basically it posits this incredible you know uh ethnically diverse group of international astronauts on the first mission to mars from an international space station and it really does the thing that some of these old cute sci-fi imaginative things do it's only a hundred, you know an hour and 21 minutes it just flies by but it's actually this hilarious you know quandary about like what it's like to be in space and the burden that it is on you and imagine this whole like series of futures where people are like eating meals as pills um because they need to be astronauts and there's this whole sacrifice of being an astronaut and then it basically becomes about this like Religious quandary of like, what are we doing in space? What is the purpose of space travel? What are humans trying to do? Are we trying to play God um, and it look again? I would say I think curio or weird or kind of like kitschy uh, Science fiction fans all around the world will kind of like get a lot of kicks out of the production design of Byron Haskins stuff here We'll get a kick out of like um, how some things are so weird, like everyone eats pills and the pills taste like food, and then at the same time, like a whole bunch of people in space just eating like a three course meal, like it's all good, like it's a cafeteria set on 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 like in a high school cafeteria in a teen movie, um, and so it's just this kind of weird uh, uh, thing about, I guess the 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 desire for human beings to conquer space, and so I kind of like mm. it. As a bit of a curiosity, I like, I love all of these old kitschy movies for just the inventiveness of what they think space is when they have no Anchor in reality of any of those things and I think Marooned at the time that space travel is happening um, Gets the opportunity to do that. Um, It's not my favorite Haskin uh, movie, of course that probably lands with um something more like uh you know war of the worlds or something like that but it's just great to just see like the technical uh the technical side of this it and again when you see this version um of conquest of space this beautiful um 1080p presentation from the paramount Pictures negative um it's really stunning to see the technicolor in blu-ray like there's just something it just looks like this beautiful strange out of time thing and so yeah i really enjoyed it you know 81 minutes an hour 20 like it flies by so it's just a breeze and so like this you know if you if you're a sci-fi fan these fifties movies are just a dream. They're just like, you see yeah. the, the the origins of all of the big bombastic, you know, totally digital glut that we have right now. And just watching the craft yeah. of how they had to actually do it. It's um, craft and it's imagination. And yeah. it's like bringing the surrealism
1: to space that I appreciate so much about like those 50 sci-fis. Yes. There was another one that I really loved back in our early run of imprint films uh, that was similar, like another kind of planet, type thing that I found really fascinating for that same reason. In 1950s when worlds collide was the movie from 1951, Rudolph Mate, uh, I found that that's kind of like a disaster movie where they have to like disappear to other planets. And it has that same kind of like surrealism of like those landscapes of space that I found so beautifully done.
0: Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's definitely not, um, an absolute uh jaw-dropping must own um in the in the context of this incredible series of batches that imprint are doing but i think if you're a sci-fi fan these 50s ones are just the best like if you're a sci-fi person that has like all the contemporary sci-fis you you owe it to yourself to give yourself the 81 yes. minutes to get this in your collection like you want to you want to you want to be a completist um and byron haskin and his influence on the entire genre um uh like you know i think you owe it to yourselves to put this one in your collection awesome All right, so we come now to our final, uh, sorry, no, I'll do that again. We come now to our second last film of the batch. I didn't see this, but. As the requisite psychological horror expert, out of the two of us, <laughs> um, I, I, I happily bowed uh, to, to let you do this. I was going for the more classic, uh, you know, upcoming Dalton Trombo film, the adaptation. Yeah. There. So I was like, I'll, I'll stick, I'll stick with the black, the, the Hollywood blacklist, and and I will give you Audrey Rose. Tell me about this movie, underrated psych- psychological horror, nineteen seventies, Anthony Hopkins. Like, tell me, Lex, like, what did it live up the to the stranger. height?
1: He's going to harm us. It's Ivy, he's after.
0: The past. The present. The
1: nightmare. (coughs) The terror. I saw her burn her hands on a cold window. (coughs) The movie. Audrey Rose. The novel of reincarnation is now a spellbinding motion picture. (coughs) The pain. The anger. The trial. The test. Your eyelids are getting so heavy. The question. Audrey. The answer. I really dug this one, dude. I had a really. Lovely time watching this one. This is from one of the all-time great directors, Robert Wise. Um, And it is one of his rare forays into horror. He's made one of my other favorite horror movies of all time, The Haunting. So when I saw this coming up in the list, I'm like, great, I can save myself. I can finally watch this other Robert Wise horror film. And it deals with something that you seldom see in modern horror, but it has its place in there, which is the idea of reincarnation. Mm. And the whole premise of this movie, there is a little girl called Audrey Rose, whose father is Anthony Hopkins, and she dies in a horrific car accident where she basically is locked into a car as it flips over with her mother, and they both burn to death. Two minutes after she dies... Another girl called Ivy is born elsewhere in the world, and it is believed that perhaps, Anthony Hopkins believes that perhaps his daughter's soul has been transmitted into this new being. That his daughter has been reborn in 1964 as this girl. So now we come into 1977, and the film follows this girl, Ivy, her two parents, and she's having some like emotional problems and stuff like that. She's having like these nightmares and things, and there is this guy that is following this family around, and you like see him following them around. It's a it's a bearded Anthony Hopkins. And he's just come. He confronts them and says, "Hey, I'm pretty sure your daughter is my daughter from a previous life." And not um, weird at all. Not weird at all. Not. I mean, that has happened to
0: me a few times so far as a parent.
1: Well, you know, you've got very precocious children. They do have the seem like they've been through many lifetimes. <laughs> um, but then I would say what happens in this movie next and the tone that it takes, I would say it, it kind of cl- feels closer to something like melodrama than the possession horror of mm. The Exorcist, which pops just a few years before this. And you could see this movie being quite, uh, quite, closely compared to that film um it makes to be for something quite creepy and interesting like the way that uh reincarnation is used it becomes really fascinating it's almost like it almost becomes like Miracle on 34th Street, where there's like a where there's like a imaginative magic realism put on trial, literally in a courtroom of yes. like whether this is real. In the same way Miracle on 34th Street is, it feels very very interesting. It would be interesting to have those two back to back because that one's a quite a warm movie. This is friends a friends at the strange gu- strange movie. Our
0: friends at the Golden Age. You want a real weird Christmas double, something to plonk straight between Halloween and Christmas? Let's go. Let's go, yeah. Lex.
1: I reckon. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll try <laughs> and get that double feature going on. Um, but it is really interesting. And I think Hopkins is so watchable. And the moments of horror are really, really freaky. I found this like. Quite disturbing at times where there's this little girl who's reliving her death, uh, being in this chamber, this car burning, and she's just screaming, screaming. The only way to calm her down is this strange man to call her by a name that does not belong to her. It is cool, it is creepy, it is weird. It's a great representation of reincarnation in horror. And if that's something that interests you about this movie, the special feature that I really, really love that I would love to give a shout-out to is a video essay from film historian Lee Gambian. and it is... Uh... Sorry, let me just say that again. Yeah, say that again. It's a video essay by film historian Lee Gambion, and it is... Uh... It is a video essay on like the history of reincarnation on film called I've Been Here Before. And it covers the gamut of like how reincarnation is presented in film from comedies and musicals like Here Comes Mr. Jordan and the remake with Warren Beatty, um, uh, which I found really interesting and introduced me to some movies I wasn't aware of as reincarnation movies. But then when it touches on horror, the idea of horror in reincarnation, it latches on to some of my favorite movies. The original Mummy from the 1940s, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula from Francis Ford Coppola, and it's just a really beautifully researched and thought out and lovely presented video essay um, that I really liked because especially I just re- watched uh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, the exhaustive three hour documentary on folk horror and I felt like this thing felt so in line with those movies I love in that vein where you just go, okay, get the freaking pen and paper out. <laughs> and you're about to learn about some movies you've never heard of before and you're going to write them down. And when it eventually begins to focus on Audrey Rose, it really like helped me understand and develop the feelings of reincarnation as they're presented in this film. Um, this is a really cool one. I think if you like stuff like The Exorcist and you're open to things that are kind of off key uh, in horror, in exploring spirituality through horror, this is one that I really highly recommend catching up with. It kind of sits in the same realm as The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, but in more of a melodramatic uh, than a horror or psychological horror presentation. So if you like melodrama as well, this is a weird one to check out
0: possession of danny rose we've had we've had this audrey rose now um it's Mm -hmm. it's it's uh feels like we're I love this exploration into the movies that are around some of the most influential movies of all time mm. and that sounds you know as soon as you said Lee Gambin, he's been a stalwart of so many of the great features that we've already seen in video essays and commentaries all across in print so I'm so excited that one has actually just jumped to the top of my list in my next mm. viewing but be-
1: it's also quite loaded like there are more features on here there's a Kim Newman on here there's a, a featurette, The Investigator, The Paranormal World of Frank Felita, The Role of a Mother, which is an interview with Marsha Mason, the lead of the film, and then also uh, my favorite thing that we've been getting a lot of in these, which is an exploration on the score, which I really, really appreciate. That's something that I think Imprint does so well, is it honors the scores to films and often scores to films are not uh, quite held in the same kind of prestige of your big iconic scores. I think that's really cool and I'm excited to see another one on here.
0: Speaking of spirituality, we're going to dive straight into a movie where Donald Sutherland plays Christ. Dalton trombos. Johnny got his gun. Here's a trailer. Somebody once said that the history of a country is the history of its wars. Another man said that war is stupid, wasteful, vicious, and self-defeating. And the third man said Let's put an end to war. In 1914 began the most destructive war the world has ever known. A war to end all wars. Four years later, with a continent devastated and millions dead,
1: was over i am such a big fan of dalton trumbo he is one of the great writers of the golden ear of hollywood he's the most famous black member of the original hollywood blacklist which is not celebrating great screenplays, but actually <laughs> Marxists and communists that were ousted out of Hollywood. He's one of the great screenwriters, but this is a film he directed. I don't think I've ever seen a film that he's directed before, Blake, and this is no exception. I also haven't seen this movie, but you have.
0: <laughs> I have. It's his one and only film as a director, adapted from a novel oh. that he wrote. And
1: Oh, wow. Okay, I love this already.
0: And so basically... It's a 1971 film of a uh, 1971 adaptation of a film that was written of a novel rather that was written in 1939 It stars Timothy Bottoms who gets a great Behind-the-scenes interview and behind-the-scenes footage with him um, uh, and the director of photography Jules Brenner That's all around the making of this movie and it's about an army soldier named uh, Joe Bonham who is in World War one And he's hit by an artillery shell and he's basically rendered to be a, a, a You know He's rendered to be like held on life support and that's the only way that he can live the remainder of his life He is then his arms are severed his legs are severed and he becomes I guess a bit of a medical miracle And when you think of it in the context of that time wars have this really tragic thing that medical advancements and things like that start to take leaps during these big world war periods because they have so many people that are injured in all these sort of catastrophic ways and we have to think of ways how we can you know, basically keep life going and it becomes this incredible interior struggle of this man who is rendered to be nothing but a person who's on life support he doesn't he doesn't have the use of his ears he doesn't have the use of his eyes he can no longer speak he doesn't have arms he doesn't have legs and he just becomes something to be monitored and tested and and prodded for the remainder of his life timothy bottom's performance is basically largely done in dream sequences and imaginations and these internal hallucinations it features donald sutherland who um, uh, uh, plays this vision of Christ, uh, in there that kind of comes like this strange gatekeeper between worlds of, uh, of different forms of consciousness. It has one of my truly favorite actors of all time, Jason Robards plays Joe's father who's seen in memory flashbacks from this position and yeah, it's, it's Written by Dalton Trombo, also uncredited work, if you're to believe IMDb, from Louis Buñuel himself. Oh my god! I know has a crazy thing. It was also, um, it, it comes out on its its reception, um, was really lauded by Roger Ebert, who who said basically that Trombo kept the m- movie on a stubbornly human level, and it, although it's a movie about war, it's a movie about individual sacrifice and what we're willing Mm. to sacrifice for war and it keeps you in this truly i want to say this horrific circumstances of being trapped inside yourself locked in and only barely being able to communicate in any way shape or form and it's this glowing you know this beginning realization of someone who can't communicate with the outside world or can he and That's where the the film really turns. That's where the book really turns and yeah, it's it's it became this sort of Out-and-out out anti-war film from the most human level um, made by a guy who You know had been so steeped in politicism in his entire career as a writer Especially being one of those blacklist uh, one of the first members of the blacklist But it, it I think what it really struck me with was just the the true horror of being locked inside yourself And having your consciousness awake but your physical body cannot do anything and the prison of that um and although it's pretty you know i think reflectively when you look back on it um it's it's not a very you know outstanding visual film it's much more about an interior it's about visions it's about this Mm. and that but the content of it is really still striking to this day and uh so i i had a really good time with this it has an immense list of great Special features, I want to recommend Dalton Trumbo Rebel in Hollywood um, doco, and it actually features Dalton Trumbo's son talking about his father, talking about this adaption, has his behind-the-scenes footage. That's absolutely terrific. Matthew Asprey-Gear, who did the outstanding commentary for The Gambler, also on Imprint Films, way back in the uh, the yeah, 40s. Great. We're now up on 115. He's terrific. I listened to about half of that commentary. I'm still getting through it. Um, there's uh, also, it actually has the James Cagney radio adaptation of this story which they adapted from the novel like a year after it was made so they they're doing this in the middle of this in the middle of world war ii lex which is insane they did this about like the human cost of war and i just it's it's a movie that had me so kicked on the blacklist that i realized I didn't actually own a copy of the uh, Coen Brothers film Hail Caesar <laughs> and it made me buy that. So all I can emphatically say oh, is... I
1: thought you were going to show me a freaking <laughs> DVD copy of Trumbo, the <laughs> Brian Cranston
0: movie. Unfortunately not. But what I would just say is... I mean if you're a trombo fan you have to own this if you if you want to see true anti-war movies i think if you're a war movie fan the true anti-war movies this is a really great wrinkle into that and in Mm. in the most unique of ways and just yeah that's how
1: i'd always heard it was that roger ebert review that you mentioned him saying it like was an actual anti-war film and how rare that is
0: so rare i mean look we we're both weirdos i mean the last terrific episode of the Millennium Mindfuck series on Total Reboot you and your great co-host Cameron James talked about a Canonical weir movie the Truman Show and talked about how you're such a weirdo yourself a Peter Weir fan and mm-hmm. You know Peter Weir's Gallipoli is one of those true movies that somehow manages to be a, a, an yeah. anti-war film a deeply anti-war film And it's a miracle and and I think this movie is way more uh, You know delivering on that anti-war agenda But it, it just the tact, the fact that it anchors it in humanity and physical life Life and the question of what is what, what is what is your life if you can't communicate or interact with other human beings um, and you're locked in a prison of your own imagination it's it's horrific and it's i think it's terrific and so I had a really good time with this and it was a, it was a great one to tick off my list it felt like one that had eluded me for many years because it only had like a I think it was like a 2009 DVD release, so it hadn't been it hasn't mm. been around for a very long time. Um, so seeing it here and and getting the imprint treatment with all these great special features and even inspiring me to buy more physical media, which I don't. If you ask my wife, I don't need. I'm um, uh, not supposed uh, <laughs> to. I'm not supposed to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I had a good time with this. So I think you know just for for the for the for the tact um, of it and and him you know feeling that he's the only person really. Who can deliver on this content himself adapting it himself i think it was really um really terrific
1: far out we love trumbo i love that guy with his typewriter topping away in the bathtub <laughs> trumbo is a king can't wait to catch up with it and we've got a couple more Movies that we'll be discussing on the next episode of the Imprint Companion, including the Osterman Weekend, the final film from Samuel Peckinpah. Uh, I am excited to dig into it. We're going to try and do the double and watch the theatrical and the director's cut. I have not committed to that, but Blake Howard has.
0: I I have, and this is why it's all the more fascinating, guys. And I can't wait for you to listen to the next one, which is it was actually at the peckham part estate that it had never been released before And so wow. we've got a 2k scan from newly sourced 35 mil prints of his own one all right the original director's cut negative Holy is what shit. they got so that is it's i can't wait so Park, we've already had a major dundee release we've now got osterman there's I'm hearing whispers of even more peck and par stuff coming to imprint. So if we can get some more of these resplendent double box sets in their glorious hard cardboard, I am so excited.
1: Rock on Bubba, we're doing it.
0: Let's do it. Let's get let's get pack and par. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I, I can't wait to chat to you again.
1: Me too, Blake, it's always a pleasure. Never a chore, never a bore. <laughs> uh, of course you've got some great stuff happening on one heat minute. Uh, You have got the awesome Zodiac Chronicle nearing its end and you may have some cool new interviews coming in the way, but they're secrets to be held for your surprise.
0: (laughs) Secrets for us and for the Patreon and then eventually after Zodiac Chronicle ends and I can finally walk away, I can leave the cafe as Mark Ruffalo did with swagger and throw on my trench coat. Then it's time to get naval, baby. It's time to get onto that boat. And let's get weird. And can I say, really wish that I was in that conversation on the Truman Show, Lex, on the old Millennium <laughs> Mindfucks. Uh, such a great episode Yeah, we you wish guys. you were there. You we wish great, you were there. We had a great chat. Excited to see more from Total Reboot. Excited for the next wrinkle in Lived It. Um, and uh, and you've got some pretty exciting news that you've just announced as well. Do you want to uh, give a little shout out of that?
1: Yeah, we're kind of trying to expand things over at Total Reboot at the moment. So we're in a state of growth uh, over the next year, we're going to be doing some new things. The way that we're kind of pitching ourselves is that we are like the last video store clerks of the internet. We're going to be giving you new, re- new release reviews over on Total Reboot. And we're going to continue doing our mini-series explorations into different genre cycles in cinema with Millennium Mindfuck for the next few weeks as well. And then later down the line, we're going to be doing some of our documentary investigation work. will also be in the Total Reboot feed. But things are developing. Things are happening slowly but Total Reboot or whatever it will be called down the line it might have a name change who freaking knows who freaking knows but things are getting bigger and better and more exciting over there Can't. it's just going to be it's the same stuff but bigger and more
0: bigger and more is good and just like all of these imprint batches bigger and more we will catch you for more on another episode of the imprint companion very very soon